What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 78 of the 2QB Experience. My name is Greg Smith, and I'm your host. You can find all of my work over at 2QBs.com. You can find me on Twitter at GregSauce. And I'm going to start off the show by urging you, pleading with you to rate, review, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already. Uh, Even if you've rated it before, if you want to rate it again, that would be great. Uh, I think that this show is pretty good if you're listening to it. If you're a regular listener, I assume that you think the same thing. And, I don't know, show your support. I, I'd really appreciate it. I don't, you know, plead like this very often. At the beginning of a show, I usually just kind of toss it in at the end as a throwaway. But this is the time of year where we're trying to get more listeners as the season is approaching, you know, as the preseason is on its way. And do us a solid. I, I think that um, we get good guests. They help you win your leagues. They help me win my leagues. Um yeah, we really appreciate it. Uh, we do a lot of good stuff on this show, uh, and including, right now, I'm about to tell you how you can win a free entry into the Scott Fishbowl this season. SFB8 is on its way. This is the biggest Superflex tournament in the world, as far as I know. Uh, Scott Fish puts together uh, this amazing event. I mean, it really is an event. It's a, it's a ton of people. 900 teams across 75 leagues, 12 conferences, 22 rounds of drafting each. This is huge. The scoring settings change every year. It's always really exciting to see how Scott has tweaked the format. And it's all to raise awareness for Fantasy Cares, which is you know the, the best way to give back from the fantasy community, in my opinion. We try to do a little bit of that ourselves here at 2QBs through Fantasy Cares. Um, and, and individually, Sal and I uh, put a lot of effort last year with the draft guide towards raising awareness of of domestic violence, uh, raising support for the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Uh, Scott is doing the same sort of thing. Uh, I think he's setting records with, you know, donations to Toy for Tots. It's incredible. He does great work. The SFB is awesome, and you should want to play in it because you get to play against uh, the best analysts in the business. You get to play against a bunch of awesome fans who are super engaged. And, of course, because it's super flex, man. These are 12-team, two-quarterback leagues, and there's really nothing better. I, I can't wait to start drafting. That, that's going to happen real soon. And if you want to be drafting alongside me in one of these many leagues or divisions, whatever you want to call it, you can get into the Scott Fish Bowl through this podcast. And here's how we're going to pick the winner. We're going to have some trivia, some 2QBs, some 2QB experience-based trivia. And check out the show notes. There will be a link there. I'm also posting a companion article on 2QBs.com with my updated quarterback rankings for redraft. And that article will also have a link to the trivia. Six questions. Fun stuff. I tried not to make anything something you could easily look up. I think most of it you would have to know or guess at. There are a couple things that you could look up if you put in the legwork, and I'm sure some of you will do that. That's fine. But we have to, you know, make it a little challenging. We have to weed out people. So uh, some of them are just going to be literal trivia. Like the definition of trivia is matters or things that are very unimportant, inconsequential, or non-essential. Trifles, trivialities. So this is stuff that is pointless. You shouldn't know it. That's why I'm asking the questions. Uh, we're going to make it hard. Uh, the, per, the Of the people who get the best scores on the quiz, uh, we'll pick one winner at random to get entry into the Scott Fishbowl. So once again, check out the show notes, check out the rankings article, click the link, uh, do the trivia, and we'll pick one winner at random from the people who score the best on the quiz. And now with all that housekeeping out of the way, let's get into the bulk of the show. It's going to be a solo pod today, no guest. 
Uh, I am hoping to get Scott Fish on eventually uh, to talk about the SFB, maybe go over some of the scoring settings. And, uh, you know, we like to catch up with him every year, you know, about the SFB when it's happening, just because it is such a big part of the Superflex community, the fantasy football community in general. Um, But today you're stuck with me and me alone. And I want to, as I alluded to earlier, kind of tie in this show to the rankings article that I posted. I updated my quarterback rankings for redraft leagues. This isn't, you know, super high-level stuff. I mean, everybody can rank quarterbacks. Uh, a lot of them are very similar in value, so it kind of comes down to personal preference, how you decide to, you know, pick and choose between these guys. And with that in mind, I kind of wanted to use a few drafts that I've done recently, a couple mocks and some actual drafts as case studies to see how I'm applying my rankings, uh, how other people are maybe going against my rankings and why they might be doing that. Um, we're going to look at Three leagues on this podcast and the article with the rankings themselves, also linked in the show notes, that piece has uh, its own case study of a mock draft. One of the mock drafts that Josh Smith put together through Twitter, uh, these are mock drafts for 2QBs.com. They generate our two-quarterback ADP on the site. If you want to sign up for one of those, I'll link that in the show notes as well. Man, so many housekeeping things to get to when I'm recording these, but... Without further ado, let's jump in. Let's talk about the first of these leagues, and um, these are the and these are the domestic violence awareness leagues that Sal and Scott Fish put together. Most of the proceeds are going to the NCADV, the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Uh, so, very good cause here. Um, they are two QB, or excuse me, they're Superflex best ball leagues, twelve teams each, and I drafted in two of them. I don't have a ton of experience with Superflex best ball outside of uh, Scott's King of the Hill series, and those King of the Hill leagues are, are way different. Um, KOTH2, the superheroes-themed one that I'm in, uh, has a 16-team uh, setup per league, and, and so these 12-team setups in the NCADV awareness, um, these are a little more standard, a little more typical of what you would see, and I wanted to make sure I took two different approaches in these drafts. Um, This is not atypical for me when it comes to best ball. I like to mix it up. I like to draft different players because I don't play a ton of best ball. I don't play enough to where I'm going to have, you know, high exposure rates to any particular player. So I'd rather really mix it up and and try a couple different things because I want to see what works. I'm not sure exactly what's going to work. So the first one I'm going to talk about is the number five league. And and I'll link all these um, for you in the show notes once again. Um, I drew the seventh pick in this particular league, and the only quarterback who I would really consider taking in that spot is Aaron Rodgers. He's my clear-cut, you know, tier by himself, number one, at the position. Uh, But in this particular case, Rodgers went with the third pick overall. I'm not necessarily going to react to that and jump on Russell Wilson or Tom Brady, uh, you know, those tier two guys for me in the first round. Um, and as it happens here, uh, Ezekiel Elliott slid to the seventh pick, and, and I admittedly did not really think about the irony of drafting Ezekiel Elliott in a domestic violence awareness league as I did it. Someone had to point that out to me on Twitter. I felt pretty dumb about it, but in terms of playing a game, and you know, if, if we look at this like a board game or a chessboard or a video game, uh, you know, they're they're bad guys and. And whatnot in video games, I happen to draft one of the bad guys here, uh, in theory. And I don't feel great about that in hindsight, but I do feel like it was the right pick in terms of fantasy football. Uh, I think that those 
you know, workhorse running backs are really hard to find. That's the most scarce resource you can get in fantasy. Uh, you know, that's pretty evident based upon like most of the analysis you're going to see these days. Like you won't see many people, especially in like one quarterback leagues tell you to, you know, take a wide receiver or quarterback in the top three to five picks. I mean, those are generally, generally reserved for Todd Gurley, David Johnson, Le'Veon Bell, uh, Zeke, um, and then you could even make the argument for like Alvin Kamara or Saquon Barkley before you start, you know, thinking about the elite QBs, the elite wide receivers. As this kind of pertains to my rankings, uh, th- this draft in general is one where I wanted to wait at the quarterback position. And it's a two QB format, so you can't wait too long. You have to be paying attention to kind of the pace of the picks at the QB position. I didn't select my first quarterback until the fifth round. Um, but let's talk about that those higher tier QBs and where they went. Um, as I said previously, Rodgers went third overall. Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, Carson Wentz, and Tom Brady went four picks in a row in the second round. That's probably pretty typical. I mean, th- those guys are going to be first and second rounders in most two quarterback formats this year, I think. Now, I don't necessarily agree that all of them deserve that distinction. I probably wouldn't draft Deshaun Watson that high or Carson Wentz that high, and that's why they're a little further down in my rankings. Those guys are in the the danger zone tier, the third tier down for me um, after Wilson and Brady and Breeze and Cam Newton. Uh, I just don't feel like the track record is there with Wentz and Watson. Both of them had pretty extraordinary touchdown rates last season. And, you know, the good quarterbacks have good touchdown rates, but I'm more of the type of player who wants guys to prove it to me. Um, Now, in the case of Wentz and Watson specifically, I'm much more willing to get behind drafting Deshaun Watson highly because of his rushing ability. And Wentz isn't a bad rusher necessarily, but he's coming back from an injury. I don't necessarily think the Eagles are going to want to see him scrambling a lot or running a lot. I think Watson makes sense if you believe in in that small sample size uh, from last season. It makes sense for him to be a high pick in a 2QB format like he showed us Russell Wilson-esque abilities, but I'm not ready to go there with him yet. The sample size was too small. Uh, it's, it was otherworldly what he did in 2017, so um, that that's not a spot where I'm willing to take him. I'm probably not going to own any Deshaun Watson for that reason. Now, before I go any further talking about this league, I should note that it had some special scoring settings. There are actually some points given based upon completion. So a pass completion is worth 0.1 points or a tenth of a point, if you don't want me to say point-point all that much, and a pass incompletion is a negative tenth of a point. The league also scores a quarter point for first downs, and so that will mostly be scored by running backs and receivers. Uh, The only way, you know, a quarterback gets credit for a first down is if he rushes 4-1, and it's a PPR league as well. So all of these things are kind of mixing in to make you know, the the analysis of, of the players themselves a little more complicated. Uh, point per first down tends to favor running backs, especially guys who get the ball in short yardage, guys who score a lot of touchdowns because a touchdown is technically a first down. Uh, PPR helps receivers and running backs who catch passes, of course. And then the completion uh, scoring helps the guys who are going to throw at a high volume and complete a lot of their passes. So I really think you can make the case for a guy like Tom Brady as a first-rounder, second-rounder, or Drew Brees, for that matter. Uh, These guys who throw a lot, who are very accurate. Um, I don't necessarily think, again, that that Deshaun Watson fits that bill. Now, maybe if you're the Deshaun Watson drafter, 
you don't care about that. You care about the rushing production and you care about the potential, you know, extra points he gets for first downs. That's fine. I get it. Uh, but again, I, I'm not really buying into that player this season, not at his cost, at least. Um, anyway, let's keep going down this draft. Cam Newton and Matthew Stafford were the first two picks of the third round, and I can definitely get behind that Newton pick, but Stafford ahead of Drew Brees is insanity to me. Like, I, I just don't get that at all. Uh, Brees went later in the round, uh, the eighth pick of the third, so um, a big gap there between him and Stafford, and so I think the guy that got Brees there in the third got a pretty screaming value, especially when you consider the scoring settings. Uh, Kirk Cousins was taken two picks later, so those are your third round QBs. I think the Stafford and Cousins picks were slight reaches. I mean, I guess that's around where they should go after, you know, the top five to eight QBs are gone. Uh, but it feels reactionary to me. It feels like the only reason these guys were taking those QBs was a fear of missing out. They're, they're drafting these guys over the wide receivers, over the running backs who are elite producers. Now, maybe, I guess, not in the third round always, but in this particular case... We're seeing Dalvin Cook, Tyreek Hill, A.J. Green, LaShawn McCoy, Joe Mixon all going in the third round. Uh, I think that those are more important types of players to target in a two-quarterback format still. Drew Brees, I think, stands out. Cam Newton stands out. Those guys are kind of in a tier above Stafford and Cousins to me. So I think those picks are justifiable. The Brees one especially based upon where he went and the scoring settings but you really got to be chasing the scarcest commodities. And while, you know, quote-unquote good or elite quarterbacks can be scarce, week to week, it's not that hard to, to end up with a top 10 or a top 12 quarterback from a player who wasn't drafted that high among the position. You know, the, the middling tier guys are going to perform at high levels, more often than the middle tier guys or and more predictably than the middle tier guys at running back and wide receiver. And while you might look at a pick like Joe Mixon at 3.06 as, you know, kind of a leap of faith, I think that's the type of leap of faith you need to make because he could potentially be that bell cow running back that people chase in the first round, you know, the the Johnsons, the Gurleys, the Bells, the Elliots, the Kamaras. Mixon could be one of those guys. Now, it's not super likely. The the Bengals aren't as good of an offense as the offenses that those other running backs are on. But, you know, maybe he surprises us. Maybe the Bengals surprise us in general. And Mixon doesn't have a ton of competition. I mean, Giovanni Bernard is there, but his role is pretty clearly defined. I, I think that Mixon, while risky, is worth that sort of investment because of the upside he presents at a position where you really want to hit on that sort of upside. You can hit on that sort of upside at quarterback much easier later in the draft. Uh, every year we see this, like Matt Ryan two years ago, Jared Goff last year, Carson Wentz last year, Deshaun Watson last year. Like these guys can kind of pop up out of nowhere to get you know a hot streak going through a few games, and it pumps up their numbers to the point where they are guys who you you know end up guys who end up being you know top ten quarterbacks value wise. And so in terms of how that applies to my rankings, I think the, the the Tier 4 guys we're talking about, Roethlisberger, Stafford, Cousins, Matt Ryan, Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, I think you could even extend it down if you want to, like Jimmy Garoppolo, Phillip Rivers, if you believe in those guys. That tier, that group, is so close in value to me. They're all so similar in terms of my expectations for their you know, week-to-week outlook. It's going to depend on matchups, of course. It's going to depend upon the health of the team around them. 
But any one of those guys could end up being a top 10 quarterback at the end of the year. So why invest a third round pick in Kirk Cousins when you can wait, you know, a round or two and still get a guy like Matt Ryan, Jameis Winston, or Marcus Mariota? Maybe you're going to throw back to me. Maybe you're yelling at your earbuds right now saying, well, you know, Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota haven't proven it yet. I mean, Marcus Mariota kind of has, but I, I, I know what you're mean, you disembodied voice who I'm, who I'm projecting right now. Like, these guys haven't necessarily put up, you know, the same sorts of production as Kirk Cousins, as Matthew Stafford, as Ben Roethlisberger, and especially as the guys, you know, a little bit higher. And, and I think that that's why this the tier breaks are a little fluid to me. Like some days I'll want to play Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota in tier five. Sometimes I'm willing to kind of believe in the upside, believe in, you know, projection of them becoming better players and bump them up into tier four where I currently have them. But again, because the values are so close in my mind, I don't feel the need to go after a quarterback in the third round after the guys who are really good are actually gone. You know, those top eight guys. I actually lump Andrew Luck into Tier 3 above Deshaun Watson, above Carson Wentz. I'm assuming that he's going to play, but right now you you couldn't, or I I guess at the time of this draft, you couldn't really draft him with that much confidence. I mean, maybe you could. Like, I I think it's ballsy, but I think that it makes sense. Like, if you believe that Luck is going to play Week 1 like I do, then he needs to be in the top 8 of the quarterback position. He's that good. Uh, he still has T.Y. Hilton. I mean, th- there are other receivers and offensive weapons aren't, you know, necessarily super exciting. I think there there are reasons for concern there. But based upon the talent of the player, uh, what Luck has done in his time as, you know, the starter there in Indianapolis, I, I think that he deserves that sort of consideration, that, that potentially elite consideration. Whereas, you know, the Tier 4 guys, the Tier 5 guys... They're potentially very good, but I don't necessarily know if any of them are potentially elite. Now, every once in a while, we'll see these guys sneak into the top five. Uh, you know, I think uh, we know Matt Ryan's done it. I think Roethlisberger and Stafford have both done it. But we don't see them do it with the consistency that Wilson, Brady, Newton, Breeze, and Luck have done it. And, and this is a lot of why I'm still worried about Deshaun Watson and Carson Wentz. Yes, they were good last year. But can they sustain that level of performance? We, we don't know. And I'm, I'm willing to kind of take a small leap of faith on them because the talent is there and we've seen that level of performance, but is it a guarantee? Absolutely not. No way. And that's why for me, they're a lot closer in value to the tier four guys than they are the tier two guys. Anyway, let's move on to round four and only two quarterbacks were taken there. Ben Roethlisberger, fifth pick of the fourth round, Marcus Mariota, 11th pick of the fourth, fourth round. Those both feel like pretty good values, generally. And now I didn't have the, the, I didn't feel the need to pull the trigger on Mariota when I was picking at four point oh six. I took a wide receiver. I took Doug Baldwin, and Ben Roethlisberger went right before that pick. So, would I have taken Roethlisberger in that point? At that point, I don't know. Maybe I, I think it's justifiable, if only because. Cousins had already been drafted, Stafford had already been drafted, and I rank Roethlisberger ahead of those guys in the same tier. I think that when you see that sort of stuff start to happen, it makes sense to you know think about taking the player in that case. But again, because I wanted to wait, because I still felt like Mariota, Winston, Matt Ryan, and other guys were similar in value, I didn't necessarily feel the need. I probably wouldn't have taken Roethlisberger. I would have stuck with Baldwin there. 
Mariota that high is interesting. I, I don't feel like he normally gets that sort of respect. Like, I think he's that good. I, I, I believe that that pick is justifiable end of the fourth round in a two-quarterback league or a super flex league. Uh, but he's typically going behind some other players. Um, so th- that's interesting. I, I, I like that he got a little bit more juice, uh, a little bit more dap in this uh, in this particular draft. Whereas like a guy like Jared Goff kind of kind of slipped a little bit, and justifiably so in my mind. Coming back around into the fifth round, Andrew Luck was taken with the sixth pick, and that was right before me, and I was ready to pounce. Like again, this is a best ball league, so. It's all or nothing. Like, all you really want to do is win. And with that in mind, I was ready to take that gamble on Luck, a guy who I think, you know, is going to start the season and probably put up good numbers. Uh, But he went right there, and then it was time for me to jump on QB. I took Matt Ryan. Not an exciting pick, not a super sexy player necessarily, but picking clean the end of that tier, that uh, fourth tier of my rankings. Uh, Jameis Winston was still there, but um, in general when I'm picking in the middle of a round, you have to kind of be, you have to forecast a little bit. I mean, or if you're picking at the turn, you have to forecast a whole lot more picks. But basically I looked at the landscape and I said, okay, will Matt Ryan or Jameis Winston make it back to me in the sixth round? And my answer was no, almost certainly not. So I I took one of them. I took Ryan, who I've ranked slightly higher. uh, And then Winston did go in the sixth round. He was the second pick in that particular round. And then uh, it came back to me, and I took a second QB. I paid up for Patrick Mahomes. And that, I will admit, is is a bit of a stretch for me. That's not typical of my my drafting style in a two-quarterback format. I think I forgot to mention that Jimmy Garoppolo had been taken in the previous round. And so with Garoppolo gone, I was looking at a QB tier, like a remaining list of, of guys who I liked as... Philip Rivers, Patrick Mahomes, Alex Smith, Jared Goff, and Dak Prescott. Now, I have Rivers ranked higher, but again, this is where the format comes into play. Now, maybe from a scoring settings perspective, I screwed this up. Maybe I should have taken Rivers for potentially a higher, you know, passing volume than Mahomes. That that would make a lot of sense. And, you know, now that I'm saying these things out loud, I'm pretty sure I messed that up. But Mahomes, again, has the, the upside to potentially win a best ball league. Like, if he delivers on his talent with all those weapons he has there, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins, Kareem Hunt, there's a lot of potential for a big leap up from where I drafted him to where he finishes in terms of quarterback value. Like, he was the QB 16 drafted, but if he really delivers on his talent and gives a a top 10 performance, maybe that's good enough to let me win this league. I don't know. Now, thankfully, because it is best ball, I don't necessarily need Mahomes to be my top guy every week, right? Matt Ryan is a pretty consistent guy. Uh, he, he's going to deliver, you know, a steady stream of points in theory. So even if Mahomes has some dud weeks, as long as he has some big spike weeks where he's connecting on big plays with Hill and Kelsey and Watkins, then maybe those big weeks coupled with my other quarterbacks uh, would be enough to kind of steer me into, you know, contending uh, for the title or, or first place in this particular best ball. I would have much rather had Jameis Winston in that spot. I feel like he's a a safer pick, but he was justifiably taken earlier in the round. And that did start a bit of a QB run. Uh, This is where you start to see those similar values play out in concert with the thirst for the quarterback position, the need to get two and hopefully three to make sure that you're covering 
uh, you know, not only every week, but also the bye weeks for your for your QBs. And in a 12-team league, there aren't 36 starting quarterbacks, so that's not going to happen for everybody. Uh, and because of that, you might see some backups get drafted here and there. But once the position starts to thin out a little bit and you start to see that dwindling supply of players, people start to draft them a little more hot and heavy. It's, it's a little bit uh, <laughs> less of a you know, a comparison to other positions and more a, well, I I need to get my quarterback before they all run out. And so after I took Mahomes, uh, Phillip Rivers went two picks later. Jared Goff started off the next round. He was followed by Dak Dak Prescott two picks later. Derek Carr went later in the seventh. And this is all pretty boilerplate here. These guys are all, again, pretty close in value. I don't really like Goff as much as most people. I think that where he went in this draft is very reasonable. Seventh round, after all those guys I've already mentioned, is pretty in line with where I have him in my tiers. Like, I have him in the same tier with Mahomes, but I have him below Mahomes. I have him below Alex Smith. I have him below Phillip Rivers. I have Goff one spot ahead of Dak Prescott, so that seems to line up pretty well. Uh, But in general, these guys are all pretty similar, pretty replaceable. Um, I may be undervaluing Garoppolo and Rivers a little bit. Uh, it's possible that they deserve more consideration with those Tier 4 guys like Matt Ryan, James Winston, Marcus Mariota. But, but again, they're those two tiers, the Tier 4 and Tier 5 for me, they're kind of the same tier. They're kind of like sub-tiers within one tier. And that's why when you read the article that's on 2QBs.com, I've titled Tier 4 Solid Starters, and I've titled Tier 5 Solid Starters Remix. Like, these are generally, like, the the middle portion, the, the QB middle class that I talk about all the time on this show. Um, I try to make a small distinction between the guys I like more and the guys I like less. And, I mean, again, it, it changes for me from day to day. Uh, Garoppolo and Rivers sometimes maybe belong in Tier 4, or maybe look at it the other way, and James Winston and Marcus Mariota belong in Tier 5. These guys are going to leapfrog around each other as the the offseason plays out. But in general, I don't think you can go super wrong with any of them. I think that they're all valid fantasy plays in a two-quarterback format just because the quarterback position handles such a large volume of touches. Like, they're going to throw X number of passes every game, uh, and that translates to production. Uh, It's it's very rare that you're going to get a negative week or a zero from your QB. Now, you don't necessarily want to get, like, an eight-point week from your QB, but that's still better than the zero, you know? And those are the types of things you have to worry about a little bit more with running back, wide receiver, and especially tight end, those just complete dud weeks, because the volume just isn't there, either by game script or by uh, play design, or I guess game plan design. Um, Quarterbacks are more predictable, uh, they're more consistent, and that's why, you know, the, the rankings here are pretty fluid for me. Kind of ran out the rest of this league uh, a little more quickly. Um, after Derek Carr was taken, then Alex Smith went at the beginning of the eighth. Uh, the very next pick was Case Keenum, uh, and two picks later were Blake Bortles. And then right after that, I took Andy Dalton. This is kind of the last vestige of, of guys you'd be you know happy to start or excited to start. Um, and I don't even know if I can get there with Case Keenum and Blake Bortles. Like I'm excited for Case Keenum. I want him to succeed. I want him to you know continue on you know what he did last season i've talked about that on the show probably ad nauseum at this point um now with that said i wouldn't take keenum or bortles ahead of dalton so i i felt like i got a value on dalton a small one there um mitchell trubisky went one pick after dalton and he's probably it in terms of like the the last guy you really want um, because after that you're looking at eli manning uh he went near the end of the ninth round uh, a full round after trubisky went 
Uh, and then you're into kind of the unknown territory, guys who may or may not start the full season. Uh, in this particular draft, the order they were taken in was Josh Rosen, Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, Ryan Tannehill, Joe Flacco, Tyrod Taylor, Sam Bradford, Jacoby Brissett, and Sam Darnold. Now, first things first, Ryan Tannehill went too low there. He's the clear-cut starter in Miami. Uh, he should probably be valued a lot more closely to Eli Manning. Uh, I I believe that Baker Mayfield will probably start you know, the, the majority of the games for Cleveland this year, so I can see maybe taking him, but I, there's no way I'm taking Josh Rosen or Lamar Jackson over Ryan Tannehill because those guys are just facing uh, you know, a much steeper climb to get into starting position for their teams. Um, Joe Flacco going as late as he did and after Lamar Jackson is a little bit surprising. I don't think I agree with that, but otherwise this is fine. Like These guys are all you know, not necessarily safe enough to take with high picks, but they need to be taken because if they do become a full-time starter, they're going to have value, especially in a super flex. Now, this is where like the best ball aspect of these leagues might make, might make the, the picks of the younger guys a little more justifiable. Like you don't necessarily need Baker Mayfield to start for you every week. You're just hoping that he, you know, is the starter while your two top quarterbacks are on by, right? Or, has enough startable weeks or, or high point scoring weeks to make up for the bad weeks that your QB1 and QB2 have. And so it makes sense to maybe gamble on that upside a little bit more here as opposed to a you know a seasonal league where week to week you're going to have to make decisions where you where you absolutely need to have both quarterback spots covered every week or that you you want to have them covered every week. And so when you're in a best ball, you can accept that uncertainty a little bit more easily because you, you're you going to get the best lineup every week anyway. And sometimes that's going to include, you know, a rookie like Josh Rosen or Lamar Jackson. And, I mean, sometimes it's going to mean that a wide receiver or a running back ends up in your super flex spot. So if you look at these late QB picks kind of like that, if you look at them more as kind of guys who might end up in the super flex every once in a while, then I think it makes a little bit more sense for the young guys to go. But I don't think this is indicative of how I would draft in a seasonal league where I'm setting lineups every week. I want a little bit more certainty. I want to be able to predict, you know, my guy is going to start as many games as possible because with the attrition that comes over the season, you want to be able to rely on the guys you drafted. Uh, you know, if you're one of your top guys gets hurt, like last year, let's say you drafted Aaron Rodgers and he went down midseason, then you can't really wait around for, you know, Patrick Mahomes to get a starting gig. It doesn't work like that. You need a quarterback now, and Mahomes wouldn't have done that for you last year. And I think that there's risk of that sort of thing happening this season with Lamar Jackson, with Sam Darnold, and all those other rookies that are coming in. And on the flip side, the same risk applies to the the incumbents that they're battling, right? Tyrod Taylor, Sam Bradford, Josh McCown. I mean, the fact that Josh McCown didn't even get picked in this draft is is not not super surprising, again, based on the format, but I think that somebody probably should have picked him. And I, I mean, maybe there were some roster construction designs here. I'd have to look at each team individually uh, to kind of figure that out, but you know, we don't have time for that now. In general, when it comes to my tiers, though, I'm lumping all those guys together right now in what I'm calling tier seven depth chart decisions like Mayfield and Tyrod Taylor back-to-back Flacco and Lamar Jackson back-to-back Josh Rosen Sam Bradford back-to-back Josh McCown Sam Darnold back-to-back 
Josh Allen, A.J. McCarron back-to-back. And I sneak Jacoby Brissett in there, too, just because of the risk that Andrew Luck presents. Like, these guys are all potential starters and potential values, but we don't really know how they're going to shake out this year. Um, the preseason will inform this a little bit better. Like, as news comes out, you know, s- certain guys are going to drop out. Like, if Cleveland announces Mayfield's going to start the season as uh, under center, then Tyrod Taylor's going to plummet down these rankings past all the other, you know, unknown guys. I'm going to try to get my top 32 to be the guys who are supposed to start in week one. Now, I'm, I'm going to mix that up a little bit, of course, because we do have to forecast for the whole season when we're doing rankings, but there's no reason to assume that a guy who is starting, I mean, I shouldn't say no reason. If a guy has the starting gig to begin the year, you kind of have to assign some sort of assumption that he's going to hold on to that job, at least for a little while. And that, and if you believe that player is going to perform well, then, or, or adequately enough, I should say, then you can forecast them for more and more games, right? And so if Cleveland announces that Baker Mayfield is starting, and I think Baker Mayfield has the ability to take Cleveland to five wins, six wins, seven wins, then I I think it's pretty safe to assume that barring injury, he's going to be the starter there all year, despite the fact that they brought in Tyrod. Like, they drafted Mayfield overall number one for a reason. It's only a matter of time before he starts to get more playing time and become the full-time starter there in Cleveland. So to recap how this first Domestic Violence Awareness League went for me, I started off really running back heavy. I wanted to wait on quarterback, but I did want to try to exploit the scoring settings to some extent, which is why I ended up with Matt Ryan in the fifth round. I've already admitted that maybe Patrick Mahomes in the following round was a mistake, but when I took Andy Dalton in the eighth round, I think that's a good hedge. Like Andy Dalton is kind of the poor man's Matt Ryan, a guy who's going to be pretty consistent, not necessarily elite, although we've, we've seen that sort of production from Dalton in the past. We've seen him be a top five QB, albeit in a small sample size. So hopefully Matt Ryan and Andy Dalton will give me some spiked weeks and otherwise they'll give me steady production and Patrick Mahomes as the, the QB2 or the, the QB2 slash 3 will be my, you know, my hammer, the guy who gives me a bunch of splash weeks, hopefully uh, that, you know, make up for the fact that Dalton and Matt Ryan aren't super exciting from a ceiling perspective. Like, I think Mahomes has the ceiling, and that's why I picked him there. Uh, I didn't take any other quarterbacks. It was all running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends from there on out. Uh, but th- that's kind of my approach in a two-quarterback format. Like, I like to wait, but I do like to get two starters plus a solid backup, a guy who has a clear role as a starter for his team, a guy I expect to play all 16 games. And so I feel like I did that with Ryan Mahomes and Dalton. Uh, After that, I'm not going to really waste a whole lot of value on the QB position, uh, especially if I I feel like I'm getting players I like at other positions. And in this case, I was. Like, I ended up with uh, Rex Burkhead, George Kittle and Tyler Eifert, which is uh, two tight ends that I'd love to pair this year. Um, Eifert's risky, but if you can, and I mean, Kittle's risky too, but again, it, you're kind of taking a scattershot approach there. Um, after that, I ended up with Rashard Matthews, Deshaun Jackson, Tyrell Williams, and Ted Ginn to kind of round out my wide receiver core at the end of this draft. I think that's the right way to approach this particular format. Like, because of point per first down, you really want to get the bell cow running backs. I feel like I did that at the top with Elliott, Devonta Freeman, LaShawn McCoy. I got Rex Burkhead to kind of supplement that in the middle rounds, and then it was all just wide receivers, guys who hopefully are going to deliver enough splash plays and splash weeks to where they're going to fill the flex over, you know, when my running backs don't perform quite as well. 
Um, but let's get into the second league. Uh, we got a lot to do. <laughs> we got a lot to get to still here. Um, this second one is the same format, and I'm just going to go through the quarterback picks. I'm not going to necessarily uh, spend quite as much time here because the thought process in terms of how I view the tiers is the same, but I took a different approach with how I targeted QBs. Um, Aaron Rodgers went with the fifth pick overall in this draft, so a little bit later, and I had the 11th pick. I took Tom Brady. I really wanted to steer into those scoring settings. Uh, I wanted to capitalize on the the points per completion um, and then the, the negative effect for incompletions. Like Brady throws for a high completion percentage every year. And based upon how that first uh, one of these drafts went for me, I had a feeling I'd be able to get Drew Brees in the third or fourth round. And sure enough, I landed him at the beginning of the fourth round, which felt really, really amazing, to be honest. And and I would have taken him in the third, but the guy at the wraparound pick, the guy at 12th pick, uh, in the first and second round, took Carson Wentz and Russell Wilson back-to-back. So the quarterbacks went a lot higher in this particular draft than they did in the one I just talked about. Um, that's essentially four first-round quarterbacks. I mean, Russell Wilson and Carson Wentz being taken back-to-back at the turn, to me, feels like you know they're both in the first round, essentially. After that pick of Russell Wilson to kick off the second round, Deshaun Watson and Cam Newton also went in the second. Uh, again, I think that that's a reach for Watson a little bit. I like I think Cam Newton, I'd rather get him in the third. Um, and you already know that I'm, I'm out on Wentz as a first rounder. That doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, I, I shouldn't say it doesn't make any sense. It's just not something I would do. Um, and then no quarterbacks in the third round. None. Despite the fact that Drew Brees was sitting there. So what I talked about in the last draft where it seemed like the league didn't have a ton of discipline in pay, like they paid up for guys from the, like the third tier, the, the guys who are more closely aligned with the middle class than they are with the elite class. I think in this draft, there was a lot more discipline there. No one really panicked after the top six, five or six guys were gone that third round was all skill position players. Um, now, I think Drew Brees deserves consideration along those lines. I think that he could have been picked at any point in the third round, and it would have been fine. It would have been a really nice value compared to the guys that went earlier. So when he slid all the way to me at 311, I feel like I need to make a joke about the band right now, but I can't think of anything. I guess this is what happens when I wing it for solo podcasts and don't work from, from my notes. I don't get to make 311 jokes, but anyway... Um, but yeah, at the 11th pick of the third round, I would have taken Breeze. But because the guy at the turn already had two, I was pretty sure he wasn't going to take a third quarterback. So I, I did the 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 safe play. I, I passed on Breeze only to take him, you know, with the first with my first pick and or with the second pick in the next round. And that triggered a quarterback avalanche in the fourth. Uh, fifth pick of the fourth round was Cousins. Uh, Garoppolo was the eighth pick. Roethlisberger was the ninth pick. Stafford was the 11th pick. And Mahomes was the 12th pick. So altogether, that's six quarterbacks out of 12 teams drafted in the fourth round. This is where that discipline kind of melted away, right? Uh, People saw that Drew Brees went. um, There was a little lag there between him and Kirk Cousins, and then it was off to the races, man. Just the quarterback run was on. And even into the fifth round, uh, 5.02 was Marcus Mariota. 5.04 was Phillip Rivers. 5.07 was Jared Goff. Like, People were pouncing on the position. Um, Matt Ryan went with the 10th pick in the 5th round. So between the 4th and 5th round, 
there were 10 different quarterbacks taken. That's pretty insane. But again, it comes with the territory. These are the types of things you have to be concerned about in your two quarterback drafts. Like you have to know that eventually these quarterback runs are going to come. And if you can predict when they're going to come and get in front of them, or if you can predict when you might end up at the end of one, you know, and pick a tier clean, that's the sweet spot. Those are the two sweet spots. I either want to be drafting the guy I like the most out of a tier to start off a run, or I want to be drafting one of the last guys available in a tier to finish a run. And even if the run continues after me, as long as I got that last guy in the highest tier available, that's that's what matters to me. Because um, I don't really care what the other people do if they're making the quote-unquote wrong pick or the wrong pick in my opinion. As for how these guys were ordered, I... Again, don't know if I like Cousins and Garoppolo over Roethlisberger. I think you can make the argument for both of them, but I'm taking the more proven guy. I'm taking the guy who has Le'Veon Bell and Antonio Brown on his team. Uh, Garoppolo is exciting, like, and I'm a Niners fan, so I want him to be good, but look at his weapons compared to Ben Roethlisberger's weapons. It's not the same. Uh, this is still Garoppolo's f- first season as the full-time starter. Uh, there may be some growing pains there. I think that he is a little riskier than a lot of drafters would like to admit. Um, and Cousins is switching teams. Uh, he's going to a team that's probably going to be a little bit more conservative on offense. Um, again, I, I would take Roethlisberger over, over both of those guys. Mahomes over Mariota is something I wouldn't necessarily do either. Uh, I think that they have similar ceilings, uh, you know, career-wise, but I don't know. I want the guy who's been in the league for a few years. I don't want the guy in his first year starting if I have the choice. But Matt Ryan and Jameis Winston falling behind all of those guys that I just mentioned, plus Rivers and Goff, those are probably the two best values that I saw at this point in the draft. Uh, Matt Ryan at the 10th pick of the 5th round, and Jameis Winston uh, was the next quarterback selected, 3rd pick of the 6th round, both by the same drafter. So, He kind of did what I did in the previous draft, um, where I waited to take Matt Ryan and Pat Mahomes. He waited and landed Matt Ryan and Jameis Winston, which is actually a pair I like even more. And I think he got them in the same two rounds, the fifth and the sixth. So if you're looking to be kind of a late-round QB drafter, that might be the sweet spot this season, is in that fourth to sixth-round range. Um, If you're willing to take on a little bit more risk, you can wait a little bit longer. But the longer you wait after the fifth or sixth round, the more risk you are at of not getting a viable backup. And I should note that because I drafted Tom Brady and Drew Brees in this particular league, I intentionally did not draft a third quarterback. Now, I thought about it at times. Um, There there were moments where I would have liked to get one, um, but... I, again, I wanted to mix up my strategies, try some different stuff. I mean, this is a super flex format, so technically I only need one quarterback each week. Uh, so when Brady's on by, when Breeze is on by, those weeks I'm going to have to hope for uh, a really good performance from a running back or a wide receiver to fill that super flex spot. This flies contrary to you know my overall strategy, the one that I explained in my previous draft, but Again, I'm not usually drafting the elite guys like Brady and Breeze. I think that the advantage that they're going to give me based upon the points per completion is going to be enough to, most weeks when I have both of them active, like, I'm going to be fine at quarterback. Like, I don't need a backup to, I don't need insurance against their performance. If I started off with Matt Ryan and Jameis Winston, as this other drafter did, um, then I would want a third guy. That's just how it goes. Uh, But anyway, getting back to the picks... I do think that Matt Ryan and Jameis Winston 
uh, went a little bit too low. Like I would draft both of them over Goff, over Phillip Rivers, over Mahomes. The next quarterback selected at 607 was Andrew Luck, and I've already talked about how I like him as a potential value. Um, I would draft him over most of the guys we've talked about so far. I think that he's probably in consideration, at least in best ball, for that second tier, that third tier after the elite guys. So after Drew Brees is gone, uh, you're looking at Wentz, you're looking at Watson, you're looking at Andrew Luck, If or I, I'm looking at those guys. I shouldn't project that onto you listeners, but that th- those are the three that I'm considering in that spot. I don't want to overpay for them, which is why I'm probably not going to end up with any of them except for Luck. Um, but I don't know, as reports of Luck practicing more, starting to throw the football are coming out, I think he's going to creep back up into that discussion for most drafters. And if you're drafting now, if you can capitalize on the discount that you're getting, um, I think that's a good thing. I think you should be trying to do that. Mitchell Trubisky was the last pick of the sixth round. And again, that's kind of the cutoff point between the guys you might be excited to get. And well, I guess not, because after him was Dak Prescott and Alex Smith and Derek Carr. Those three, I guess, are are kind of in that middle class as well. Uh, I'm not super excited about any of them. I think I like Alex Smith the most. Um, and then I would take Prescott and then Carr. So I don't know, pick your poison. I don't feel super strongly about any of them. Um, Carr is a guy that I worry I might be undervaluing. It's hard to know how much his injury last season impacted his ability, but I think he was overrated last year too, even before he got hurt. And so with that in mind, with the uncertainty around John Gruden coming in as the new coach, uh, which, which might just be a smokescreen, don't get me wrong. I think I I might be more concerned about Derek Carr than I need to be. Uh, so he's a guy I'm going to be paying close attention to in training camp in the preseason because I, I think that he might deserve to move up. I'm just not willing to go there yet. Rounding out the quarterback picks after Derek Carr went at 804, uh, it was Case Keenum at the end of the eighth round, uh, the 10th pick, I should say. Uh, Blake Bortles was the only quarterback drafted in the ninth. I think that's fine. Um, Andy Dalton at the end of the 10th round, 10.11. That's a nice value, especially after Bortles and Keenum are you know well removed in terms of draft picks. Like if they went that much farther ahead, I think that you can look at Dalton as someone who deserves, who probably deserved to be drafted closer to those two, closer to Keenum, closer to Bortles, closer to Derek Carr. Even I'm honestly not sure why people are willing to bank on certain players bouncing back or certain players ascending, but Andy Dalton isn't in that discussion, I guess. Like, it seems like everything that could have gone wrong for him last year did. They've improved their offensive line in Cincinnati. I have a feeling I'm going to end up with a lot of him. Like, I, I I got him in that previous draft we talked about. I probably should have taken him in this one. In fact, I gotta look at, I'm going to look at the grid here and figure out why or who I was taking in those spots while Dalton was still available. Let's, let's use some hindsight analysis to see if my process was valid here. I mean, really the problem with my draft strategy here, with with taking those two elite quarterbacks highly, Brady and Breeze, in the first and fourth round, the problem is is that I felt like I was chasing running back and wide receiver for the rest of the draft. So while I ended up with Melvin Gordon and Doug Baldwin in the second and third, respectively, I, I was still so far behind at those positions that I didn't really feel like I could get it, get back into the quarterback market very easily. So... At those moments where maybe I could have considered taking Alex Smith, say, at the beginning of the 8th round, or Andy Dalton at the beginning of the 10th round, I was still going after players at other positions. Um, After I took Breeze in the 4th, my next picks were Larry Fitzgerald, Rashad Penny, 
Lamar Miller, Chris Hogan, Marshawn Lynch, then maybe at that point I should have felt comfortable, especially at running back. Now, my next pick was a wide receiver, but I, I, I know that the wide receiver position is deep. And so when I picked Pierre Garçon there in the 10th round, when I could have had Andy Dalton to cover up for my quarterbacks, like I explained why I justify only drafting two QBs. That doesn't necessarily mean it was right. You know what I mean? Like I can justify it, but was it correct? I'm not sure. We're not going to know until the season plays out. Pierre Garçon, I like in that spot, especially because this is a PPR format and with points per first down. I think that possession receivers like that, guys like Garçon, who should be pretty highly targeted, have value. Uh, I don't think he should have been, uh, you know, available in the tenth round necessarily, but maybe that pick would have been better used on a QB. But that's fine. Like I, I missed out on Andy Dalton. No big deal. Why didn't I jump in and take one of the lesser guys? Like again, I'm not necessarily looking for a guy to cover a lot of weeks for me. I could just be looking for, you know, Josh Rosen to hopefully give me three startable weeks, or Baker Mayfield to give me five startable weeks, and. I guess the bra- the draft just didn't break in that way for me. Like, after I took Garcon in the 10th, Dalton went in that round. No other QBs were drafted. Then in the following round, I could have considered Mayfield or Eli Manning or Ryan Tannehill, but they were all picked before me because I was at the end of the 11th. And so with those guys off the board, I was officially only looking at the timeshare guys. Lamar Jackson, Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold, Joe Flacco, Tyrod Taylor. And that's why it didn't feel correct to me to jump back into the QB market. I felt good enough with Breeze, with Brady, because of you know how, I, how good I perceive them to be in this particular scoring format, that I'd rather shore up wide receiver, shore up running back, and ensure that I have you know the volume of those positions to cover my super flex occasionally, and specifically when my quarterbacks are on by, I felt like there was more value in assuming that my non-quarterbacks could occasionally fill the super flex while also, because I'm loading up at those positions, because I'm loading up at wide receiver and at running back, I'm going to be getting a, a greater aggregation of points at those specific positions. So like my running backs are going to be better than most other drafters. My wide receivers are going to be better than most other drafters. And even though my quarterbacks... I don't have three quarterbacks to compete on volume. I have the efficiency of two very good QBs to kind of pick up the slack. Uh, And and I think that this strategy can work. I'm curious to see if it will work. Now, if we compare, you know, how the quarterbacks were drafted to my rankings, this draft was a little more in line with how I would value these players for a normal league. Uh, I don't know if I would take Baker Mayfield over Eli Manning and Ryan Tannehill yet. Again, I think that Eli and Tannehill are probably locked in for 16 games, assuming health, Uh, whereas Mayfield, even though I think he's probably going to start most of the year, isn't a guarantee to do so with Tyrod Taylor also there. I can't argue with Lamar Jackson over Josh Rosen. I think those guys are pretty close in value. It's really just going to come down to which one starts first. And Lamar Jackson, you know, it's being reported now that they're actually lining him up in practices with Joe Flacco. Uh, And that's interesting, like to see him maybe get some work out of like Wildcat or the backfield or maybe the slot uh, or as an H-back. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think that that's probably them just feeling things out. I don't think you're going to see that package a ton when, when the games actually count, uh, but but it's interesting. And I think that because of stuff like that, because of Jackson's rushing ability, you can definitely peg him for, for a better value than Josh Rosen um, or Sam Darnold. Uh, but the fact that 
all three of those rookies went ahead of Joe Flacco is a little surprising. I don't agree with that. Like, I, I hate Joe Flacco, don't get me wrong. I'd probably still take him in a regular league over the rookies because I think he's probably going to start most of the year. Now, I could be proven wrong. I, I kind of hope I am because I want to see Lamar Jackson get into some some real game action. But um, I think if you're drafting, you need to be more realistic. Uh, you need to kind of play it safer and and take Joe Flacco ahead of those guys. Now, I want to wrap things up with a different format. And we're going to go to the extreme. We're going to go to that King of the Hill 2 league I talked about previously in the episode superheroes uh, i am in the second lowest rung of this particular format i have not done well in this so take all of my analysis here with a grain of salt i'm still figuring out this format um i changed up the way i played a little bit this time around and i did that by taking quarterbacks a little bit more aggressively at the top um i I tried to employ late round qb strategies in previous drafts and because it's a 16 team league because quarterbacks are in such high demand it really is just a huge run on quarterbacks for the first two rounds and you can steer into that or or steer away from that and go late round qb if you want but you have to you you can't have it both ways you can't do that but then also overreact and overdraft you know the really bad qbs in the fourth round and that that was i feel like the trap i fell into previously with this league um, where i would not take a quarterback in the first two rounds, and then in the third and fourth round take Joe Flacco and and Jared Goff. Now, Jared Goff worked out for me last year, strangely enough, but um, by I I don't know if that was necessarily a good pick anyway. Like That was more just a a reaction to how the draft was going. I I felt forced into taking quarterbacks because I waited. Um, And so with that in mind, I wanted to be a little bit more aggressive in getting two solid starters um this is a format where because of 16 teams uh kind of like what i did with brady and breeze in the previous uh, domestic violence awareness league you can definitely get away with only two quarterbacks in this format you kind of have to to be honest you might be able to take a shot on some riskier guys but if you're paying up for that third qb then you're not getting uh you're, you're missing out on a very good running back or a very good wide receiver because those guys all get pushed down the board while quarterbacks fly off it in the first two rounds. So I ended up with the third pick here. And even still, like I could have taken Aaron Rodgers there. The first two picks were Todd Gurley and Le'Veon Bell. I had the option of going after Rodgers. I took David Johnson. I said I was going to be more aggressive. Why wasn't I as aggressive as possible? I don't know. It's it's possible that was a mistake, but... First, let's talk about the scoring settings. This league actually uses the Scott Fishbowl scoring settings from two years ago, where it's generally pretty simple. Um, it's half-point PPR, so not a ton of extra value to receivers, but a little. The big difference between this and a standard league, though, is that you get a quarter point per carry, per rush attempt. So running backs are very valuable here, and that is why... With the third pick, I just could not get away from an elite rusher. I just couldn't do it. I had to take David Johnson. Now, maybe you could argue I should have taken Elliott because he's more of a rusher and David Johnson is more of a receiver. But I figure any difference there is probably going to be made up for the fact that Johnson does catch so many passes. Like, the fact that it's half-point PPR means that him and Le'Veon Bell, and to a slightly lesser extent Todd Gurley, probably as you know, very good receivers uh, deserve 
a little bit more distinction ahead of Elliott. And Elliott's a fine receiver, but I don't think he's on the same level as David Johnson or Le'Veon Bell. And ultimately, they should all see a similar number of touches. Uh, And if receptions are worth more than carries, then I think that the argument for David Johnson over Elliott makes sense. But I'm digressing here. We're talking about running backs when this is meant to be uh, all about quarterbacks and quarterback rankings. But anyway, yeah, I I didn't think that Aaron Rodgers was worth it there uh, because looking at last year's draft, you can see that the early picks are kind of the sweet spot to get two startable quarterbacks in rounds two and round three. You can't do that from the 13th pick or the 14th pick. The guys just aren't going to be there. But because I had the third pick, I can take David Johnson and, and still expect to get two good quarterbacks back to me in the second and third. And in this case, I ended up with Ben Roethlisberger and Matt Ryan again. But before we get to my picks, let's kind of run through all of the picks one more time. Rodgers actually went all the way down at the 14th pick of the first round. And that's pretty surprising to me. That seems like a really nice value for that drafter because he's not going to get a really good second QB. It makes sense to pay up for the elite talent of Rodgers. Cam Newton was actually the second one taken with the very next pick, 1.15, and Russell Wilson went at 1.16. Both of those are justifiable for the very same reason, and especially good here because of that quarter point per rush. Like That's why you're seeing these rushing quarterbacks go ahead of Tom Brady, who went at 202. Uh, Deshaun Watson went at 204. Again, I'm not really in love with that pick, but because of the rushing upside there, I think that Taking Watson in the second round here makes a ton more sense than taking Watson in the second round of a a standard 12-team league. I think that makes uh, a ton of sense, actually, if you believe in Watson. Uh, Breeze went with the fifth pick in the second round. I don't love it, but again, the quarterback thirst is is pretty strong here. Um, The rest of the second round was Wentz, Stafford, Kirk Cousins, Jared Goff, and then Roethlisberger to me at 214. Jared Goff at 213 get the hell out of here. I'm sorry. Like you cannot take him over Roethlisberger. You can't take him over Marcus Mariota, James Winston, Matt Ryan, Andrew Luck. And if anything, like I look at my Ben Roethlisberger pick and I, and I wish I would have taken Luck like that. That was a mis- again, a mistake. Like this, this draft happened long enough ago. Um, this was back in towards the end of May. Um, in fact, I can look at when I picked Ben Roethlisberger specifically, it was Wednesday, May 23rd. Anyway, If I'm swinging for the fences here, this is a best ball. This is 16-team best ball. Go for the biggest upside, man. Take Andrew Luck. Now, I actually, I mean, ultimately, I think Roethlisberger, at the time I was making the pick, was probably fine. And if anything, I should have been trying to sneak Luck in at a discount with my next pick in the third round. But I didn't do that. And he was available there. I took Matt Ryan. But uh, anyway, I'm I'm getting ahead of myself again. At the Roethlisberger, um, at the turn... Uh, Marcus Mariota, Jameis Winston, Philip Rivers, Jimmy Garoppolo all win. Um, so the two guys drafting behind me in this case both took two quarterbacks, leaving me to take my second quarterback. I chose Matt Ryan. It probably should have been Andrew Luck. Say la vie. And then the rest of the third round was comprised of... Comprised or composed? I always get those two screwed up. Anyway, it was made up of the rest of the league getting their second quarterbacks. Uh, Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes, Dak Prescott, Mitchell Trubisky, Derek Carr... Andy Dalton, Case Keenum, Andrew Luck, Blake Bortles. All those guys win the third round. Blake Bortles was the last pick in the third round of this league. That's what I was talking about earlier, where 
you're overreacting to the thirst. You have to react in that way to some extent because you, you need to make sure you get quarterbacks and you, you almost certainly want two. But this is why I feel like if you are the drafter who has that late pick in the first round, you have to take the Rodgers or, or the best you know guys available, Rodgers, Newton, Wilson, whoever. The problem is, is that then you're forced into taking a guy like Blake Bortles at the end of the third, um, especially if you use that second rounder on someone else. Uh, or s- some other position, I-, I don't really know if there's a right answer or a correct strategy for this. I, I feel like you're you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't, because some of these guys are going to hit, some of them aren't, and you're kind of at the mercy of the settings here. You, it's it's a big league, you need quarterbacks, you have to pick them highly. How you parse that is, is interesting. I think there's definitely a, a big advantage to having an earlier pick for that reason. The draft just lines up that way. Uh, so, I mean, like if I had to critique the way that Scott set up this league, I would probably just say that 16 teams is too many, um, even even for Superflex. Now, he might come back to me and say, well, that's the point. Um, and, and I get that. Like, I, I that's why I play in the league. I think it's interesting. It's, it's fun to kind of flex these weird muscles, like try to figure out a format that doesn't make quite as much sense, that isn't quite as, I, I guess, predictable or in line with what we're used to in fantasy still it's it's just really rough when you're forced into taking case keenum and blake bortles in the third round so i mean whereas in the previous 12 team leagues i was talking about quarterbacks lasting into the 10th the 11th the 12th all of the 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 locked in starters were gone by the fourth round like after blake was taken uh, to close out the third Tannehill, eli manning joe flacco tyrod taylor all went in the fourth and then it's a big drop-off, right? That's Those are the, the known starters at the time. This was a lot closer to the NFL draft, so we didn't really have strong opinions on rookies necessarily. Baker Mayfield was the next quarterback taken, but he wasn't taken until the seventh round. And to be honest, I think that that's a screaming value compared to Tyrod Taylor in the fourth um, in hindsight. Now at the time, maybe... I, I can't remember what you know the Roto World blurbs were saying about Baker Mayfield back on May 24th or May 27th or whatever, but... It could have been, you know, you know, Tyrod Taylor's our starter. In fact, I do remember Hugh Jackson saying something like that. So people are going to buy into it. I get it. Like Tyrod's going to be the guy that that gets that, you know, early offseason credibility as the presumed starter. But the gap there between those two is probably too big. Um, the rest of these, you know, kind of rookie and, and risky quarterbacks were taken Later in the draft, the ninth round and on, uh, Josh Rosen, Sam Bradford, Lamar Jackson, Sam Darnold, Josh McCown finally got drafted in one of these case studies, uh, Josh Allen, Jacoby Brissett, A.J. McCarron, even Nick Foles, Teddy Bridgewater got drafted, and then with my very last pick, the 14th pick of the 16th round, so third to last, not quite Mr. Irrelevant like he was in the NFL draft, I took Chad Kelly, uh, the Denver backup, because... Do, are, are we sure that Case Keenum is good? Are we sure that he is going to maintain the starting gig all year for Denver? I don't think Paxton Lynch is the guy there. If the Broncos wanted Paxton Lynch to be the starter, they wouldn't have signed Case Keenum. They might not have drafted Chad Kelly. But the fact that the, the fact is they did draft Chad Kelly. The only reason he didn't get a shot last year was because he was hurt. He basically had a redshirt season. If Case Keenum struggles, I think there's a very good chance that Kelly sees a shot. And with you know, the last pick here, it's a Hail Mary, but again, we're talking about a 16-team Superflex best ball. All I really care about is winning the league, so with that in mind, why not take a Hail Mary? Like, the whole league is a Hail Mary in the first place. It's okay to swing for the fences with those late picks where, where you don't really have 
that much value. I mean, looking at the guys, the other players drafted before him in the last round there, Torrey Smith, Taylor Gabriel, John Kelly, D.D. Westbrook, Ryan Grant, Albert Wilson, actually Wilson's a good pick there, Terrell Pryor, Jeremy Hill, John Ross, Ed Dixon, Trent Taylor, I like Trent Taylor too, uh, Tyler Croft, uh, Cole Beasley, and then, then I took Chad Kelly. I mean, is Chad Kelly that much riskier than any of those other guys? Not really. I mean, Albert Wilson definitely stands out there. I feel like he's kind of locked into a role as a Jarvis Landry replacement for Miami, so I, I really like that one. But otherwise, like, why not take the shot on, you know, a guy like Chad Kelly? I think I think that that makes sense to me, and it's fun. Like, this is still a game we're playing here, right? It's fantasy football. It's not life and death. Pick the guys you are interested in. Pick the guys who you want to see succeed. And for me, I, I would like to see Case Keenum do well. But if he can't do well, I don't necessarily want to see Paxton Lynch get another shot. I feel like we've been down that road before. Let's see Chad Kelly. And... You know, in a super flex league where quarterbacks are at a premium, especially here with 16 teams, if I end up with a guy who's going to start, what, seven games, six games maybe for the Broncos in the last round, that's huge. That's a great value. I'm, I'm, in, I'm into that. I want that to happen. And now I'm kind of rooting for it, right? Where that's that's where we're at. This is part of why we play. It's It's so that we can root for the guys that we like. And I don't know. I, I think that that's... The type of pick that you don't get to make in any type of league except for this one. And again, that's why I like to continue playing in these weird formats. Um, and, and one of the reasons why I like Superflex in general is because we get to talk about all the quarterbacks, not just the top 12 to 15 guys um, when we're drafting. Now, in season, you're, you're always going to have people writing streaming articles and waiver wires saying, oh, pick up this quarterback. He's got a good schedule coming up. Like, that makes sense. But I, I want these guys to matter in the draft. Quarterback is the most important position in football. We draft running back handcuffs all the time. Like, we draft the backups for guys. Like, we're drafting Bilal Powell and Isaiah Crowell. We're drafting Chris Carson and Rashad Penny. Why can't we apply that to the quarterback position? The great thing about King of the Hill, this format that Scott created, is that now those quarterback handcuffs do matter. Like, the fact that Chad Kelly is draftable is cool. Like, that's that's exciting. That's something that you don't get to do in a regular league. But anyway, I'm off on a tangent again. That probably means it's time to wrap this up. Thank you all for listening. I hope I didn't ramble too much. And uh, forgive the the scratchy voice. The voice cracks have been a little under the weather lately. Hopefully we'll turn that around. If you want to send any feedback to me, you can hit me up directly on Twitter at Greg Sauce. If you want to send feedback to the site um, or just general two quarterbacks nonsense, um, it's at 2QBs on Twitter, T-W-O-Q-B-S. Our email address is spelled the same way. 2QBs at gmail.com. Uh, would love to hear from you guys uh, and gals. Once again, I'll ask you to do me a favor and rate, review, subscribe to the podcast. And of course, don't forget to take the 2QBs trivia quiz. See if you can get into the Scott Fishbowl. Hashtag SFB8 on Twitter if you want to find out more about the format or go to scottfishbowl.com. The link to the trivia contest is in the show notes for this podcast. It is also in the rankings article that is the companion to this show. You're probably going to have to guess at some of the questions, but if you err on the side of caution, you might just nab yourself a spot in the Scott Fishbowl. Otherwise, thanks as always for listening. We'll catch you next time here on the 2QB Experience. Adios. Adios.